last week we got to the point where Nehemiah started rebuilding the gates and we, we completed three of those gates. There are actually 12 gates, but in chapter 3, like we said last week, only 10 are mentioned. But in the book of Nehemiah, 12 gates are mentioned. We, did, we, did, we took one hour, no, well, 45 minutes to do three. So by your own calculation, we have nine to complete today. So just figure out how much time we are going to need by that. All right? So three in 45 minutes, and we have nine to go through this morning. We are back in Nehemiah chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 13 this morning. Um, and just to help you, I know you won't be able to pronounce some of these names and stuff, so we won't read the entire thing. We're going to read three verses. And then we will pray and go from there. As usual, let us stand for the reading of God's word. And just lift your Bibles up as you stand with me. Nehemiah chapter 3 from around verse 13 to 16. This is very good. It was good last week. It will be good this week, I believe. Come on, lift your Bibles up. Declare with me that this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing and let me read for you. Verse 13 says, The valley gate was repaired by the people of Zanoah, led by Hanun. They set up its doors and installed bolts and bars. They also repaired the 1,500 1, feet of wall to the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkaijah, Son of Rechab, the leader of the Beth Hakarim district. He rebuilt it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. The fountain gate was repaired by Shal Shalom, son of Kolhose, the leader of the Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set up its doors and installed its bolts and bar. Then he repaired the walls of the pool of Shalom near the king's garden and he rebuilt the walls as far as the stars that descended from the city the stairs, sorry, that descended from the city of David. Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Azubok, the Asbuk, the leader of half of the district of Bethazor, he rebuilt the wall geez, from, from, from a place across from the tombs of David's family as far as the water reservoir and the house of the warriors. And next to him, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you. We thank you that every detail in your word is important. Every name, every number, every line, every phrase. So we thank you for the truth of your word. Spirit of the living God, we come in the name of Jesus this morning. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you will flood and fill this place and every heart and every life standing in this place this morning. God, we call upon you and we ask you to come and show yourself strong in our midst. That you'd open our eyes to see your truth and our ears to hear your voice. Our minds to understand your word and our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be transformed from the inside out. So pour your spirit out and descend on us like a mighty great flood in the name of Jesus. May every person in this room experience spiritual change this morning that will draw them closer to you in the name of Jesus. Let your will be done and let your kingdom come in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated in Jesus name. I believe like, like I said last week that each of the gates speaks of different experiences in our Christian walk. And that each of, and, and each of them represents things that we will face in this Christian journey we are on. Very important to also understand that their order and position, is, they are very specific in terms of how they are in the scriptures. And they give us insight into the journey that God takes each of his children on. So if you look at the gates, it will really show you the journey of faith that you ought to be on. And so names, we also understand, well, the wall, the wall had 12 gates spaced around the city. And 10 of them are mentioned in chapter 3. The other two are mentioned later in Nehemiah. But names have deep spiritual meanings, especially in scripture. Unlike our time when people name Tanisha, Lanisha, Ranisha, Kanisha, Menisha, Sinisha. I mean, I mean, names in scripture had meaning. Meaning, right? People don't, didn't just get names. Our stuff and places were not just named for naming's sake. There were specific reasons to every name. Therefore, every name of every gate has a specific meaning that is significant to all of us. So we won't over-spiritualize here other than to look at the literal truths that pop right off the pages of the scriptures. And, and I believe that God placed them there so that we can learn something from them this morning to apply to our lives. So last week, you remember we went through the first gate, it's the, the sheep gate. And sheep gate speaks to salvation, right? It's a starting point of rebuilding our lives and our relationship with God. The second gate, gate was the, the fish gate. And the fish gate speaks to evangelism. We were fished so we could be fishers. All right? We were caught so we could start catching. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The third gate was the old city gate. And that speaks to discipleship. This gate gate emphasizes repair it is one of the gates that was repaired and not rebuilt we also said that the sheep gate the sheep gate is the only gate that didn't have any bolts or bars in other words it, it's a door that is wide open meaning anyone can get saved every other door 
had bolts and bars. That means at some point they are locked. But the salvation door was always open. The old city gate speaks to rebuilding our lives on the fundamental truths of the Bible. So this morning we are going to continue by looking at um, the gate that is mentioned in verse 13. It is called the valley gate. Alright, now the valley gate is very important. The valley gate was also repaired. Right, it was also repaired. And the valley gate speaks of our humility before the Lord. The valley is a low place. It means now we need to get to a place. Part of our Christian journey is for us to walk in humility before God. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in due time he will exalt us. The scripture forever encourages the believer to humble themselves. To humble themselves. Let me say it again. It is better for you, let me say it this way, it's better for you to humble yourself than to have God humble you. You don't want that. If God, listen, if God has to deal with you to get you humble, you're probably not going to like it. A humble person, to, many people also believe that to be humble means it is to think less of yourself. It's not. It is to think of yourself less. I think highly of myself as a child of God. I'm favored and blessed. But here's what I must do as well. I must think of myself less. In other words, every child of God must realize that he or she is saved by grace through faith and not of themselves. It is a gift of God. Therefore, humble yourself. You didn't save you. I didn't save me. God saved us. In fact, the prompting we had that caused us to want to serve God, God gave that to us. The unction we had that day, that moment, that night, that evening, that thing that you felt that said, I need to give my life to the Lord, that is all because of God. We never initiated salvation. We reacted to the action of God. So we must be humble. Because man cannot save himself. So just as Christ humbled himself and became flesh, Philippians tells us humbled himself. The God of all creation took off his divinity, put on humanity. And yet, humanity wants to put on Godship. It's kind of funny that God on earth was 100% man. But man on earth want to be 100% God. It's amazing, right? We, we try to think we're big and we're bad. We, we, we try to think like, my dear, I can do this all by myself. You, you, you know, I, I can figure this out. I can solve this. I can work this through. I know how to get out of this. We try to be God on earth. And when God was on earth, he became man. 
So just as Christ humbled himself and became flesh, in order that he might save others, we should be willing to deny ourselves and minister to others. Tell the person beside you, deny yourself. That, that's hard to do, you know. People think like, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. People think like it's easy to deny themselves. Like, like okay, I can deny myself, really? Alright, would you give up your phone right now? Let's be real. Would you give up a car right now? Listen, but here's, here's the thing. Would you want somebody to give you their car? You, you see how simple. Denying yourself is not as easy as we make it. The thing that we will say no to, if it were being offered to us, we would say yes. We always want others to do what? Deny themselves, but we don't want to deny ourselves. Sometimes what happens is that God is a valley gate. So sometimes God allows us to go through the valley in order to prepare us for the mountain top. So you have to go through the valley to get to the mountain. Because if you get to the mountain without going through the valley, you may fall from the mountain and land in the valley. Because here's what I know. You have, to be, you have to work hard to get up the mountain. To know that I, I need to stay up here. Because if you get put up there without work, you're probably not going to understand the value of being on the mountain. And fall. But so sometimes God brings us through the valley. Because there's a future thing that he's prepared us to do. Sometimes in order that we may get stronger, he brings us through the valley. Sometimes he wants to get our attention. So he brings us through the valley. However, we have this promise when we go through the valley. He will go through the valley with us. That's what Psalm 23 says. Yea, though I walk through, I will fear no evil. For? Do you know that it is the valley and the fire and the flood? The scripture talks about him being with you. When it gets out to mountains, you come up to meet God. Right, right? Mount Moses met him in the mountain. Right? People go up to the mountain to meet God. In the valley is where you walk with God. The valley gate is important because your walk with God requires humility. You have to be humble. And if you ask people, let's do a test, right? Let me see the hand of the humble people. If you're humble, put your hand up. Let me count. One. Like people, listen, this is one question people are afraid. People, people kind of cute. Well, <laughs> I think I'm humble, you know, but I don't want to put up my hand because then am I really humble if I put up my hand? <laughs> you know, you know, you know. So let me not put up my hand. I really think I'm humble, but if I put up my hand, well, that may be pride falling off me to put up my hand saying I'm humble. It's kind of it's funny how, how humility is because we think sometimes that the person who don't talk a lot is humble. 
Like if you walk into a building and someone is always by themselves and they don't have a lot of communication, we say, wow, what a humble person. They are so quiet. And the person who comes in and says, hey, everybody want to go on. Lord, boy, them low demon, Jesus and Peter can humble themselves. Because we think humility is silence. Some of the most prideful people you will meet, they don't talk to nobody. They don't have any relationship. Because humility is not silence. Nor is it speaking loud. It's an attitude of the heart that causes you to think about others more than you think about yourself. That's the valley gate, right? The, the, the next gate is the dung gate. Think you know what dung is, right? We, we don't need to get the Greek or the Hebrew for it, or do I need to do that? Because we could get into it. But you know what it is, right? The, the, the fifth gate repaired was the dung gate. It speaks of the necessity for the believer to constantly examine their life in order to rid themselves of unconfessed sins. Dung is a mess of life, or the mess in life. And here's what happened. You get to this, it's a progression of the Christian faith. You get to this place, here's the thing. Examine yourself. Listen, point at your neighbor and say to them, examine yourself. When we become believers, instead of being patients, we become doctors. Not realizing that Jesus is the great physician. Our job is not to examine people. Our job is to be examined by us. But we have, we have made our mark in the Christian faith by examining people. So when we come to church, we, 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 what we call, we, we, we have many reader men and reader women in church. They come in and they look around and they say, that one is rich, that one is poor, that one is nice, that one is not. That one look like them bright, that one is... Listen, we have, we, we, we examine everybody and put them in categories. We look for cliques. We say, okay, look like them, 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 them gang up on a crew that, you know. Uh, we, we begin to do that. Failing to examine ourselves. Part of the Christian faith is to consistently and constantly examine our own lives. It was through the dung gate which waste and refuse were taken and it was cast into the fire. They had to deal that a constant part. The, 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 the people as they rebuilt the wall, they had a place where all the waste in life and the things that were refused were brought to that gate and it was burnt in fire. Imagine how difficult it would be to repair such a gate as this. Yet we have the promise of God that states, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. If we, let's read that. If we confess, whose sins are we supposed to confess? So when we go to God to pray, because this is all about prayer, and talking about, when we go to God to pray, whose sins are we supposed to pray for? Yes, 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 yes. Lord, don't go to God and tell God about your, your wife's sins. Don't tell God about your husband's sin. Go to God and tell God about your sin. Because if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Our 
sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Because purity begins with us. This is a very important gate to the city of Jerusalem. And it is a very important principle for us as believers today. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 in the New Living Translation says this. Because we have these promises, dear friend, let us cleanse ourselves. Like you see, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body, our spirit. Wait, understand. Keeping your physical life clean is as important as keeping your spiritual life clean. Everything that defiles our body. Our spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness. Why? Because we fear God. Let us work. And let us work toward complete holiness. Because we fear God. So we must cleanse our lives of everything that defiles our body, our spirit. It says can. If it can cause you to sin, get rid of it. Not that it has made you sin, but because it can cause you to sin, you need to get rid of it. You hear right? So, so how does it say it in other parts in the scripture? Shun the very what? Appearance of evil. Don't give the enemy a foothold. All of these things are suggesting to us that there is a need for us to daily examine, come to the dung gate, daily examine our lives, see if there is anything that can cause us to sin, or see if there is anything that is sinful in our lives, and remove those things by asking God to forgive us as we confess them to Him. But we don't like that. We don't like that. So there are some things that you ought not to do. You ought not to do it because it's going to lead to sin. That, that makes it right. You don't do it. So, so you, you know why? It's not wise. It's not that they are wrong. They are just not wise. There are some things that are right to do. But they are not wise to do. Because they can lead to sin. Amen? Well, well, pastor, what do you mean? Do you know if you keep drinking alcohol, chances are you're probably going to get drunk. But nothing is wrong with drinking alcohol. But when you build up a habit of drinking alcohol... You want to stop and you can't stop and then you get drunk. Listen, listen, listen. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is wrong with piercings. Because if you can pierce your ears, that's just, well, I mean, if, if piercing is wrong, then you can't pierce your ears. So if it is wrong to put it on you, I see them have somewhere and put like these places and you, you think it's like some wart and those things. You have to be careful now, you know, you next thing you try to box something. So no, that's, that, that's, hello, careful now, right? Now, 
And many people think that is wrong. So what makes piercing here wrong if piercing here is not wrong? What I will say is that, is this the wisest thing to do? Imagine you have a tattoo here. And you get to work in an institution where they have a problem with tattoos. Imagine you're working in Jamaica, you know. And you have to be wearing things up here every day. Or you have to do some laser thing to remove it. The point is, it's not wrong. It's just not wise. So don't do it. Bring it to the dung gate and throw it out. The next gate is the fountain gate. And that, uh, uh, from, chapter, from verse 15 to around 25, the fountain gate and the fountain gate illustrate the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right? If you notice, from verse 15 to 26, there are many workers mentioned in this portion of the scripture. We don't have time to go through it, right? Many, many, many workers were mentioned and they were working together in unity when you read from verse 15 to 26. So today, the Holy Spirit binds believers together in order that we might see the work of the Lord accomplished. So in the same way, at this gate of the fountain, the believers were working together in unity. It is the same way that in today's context, we need the Holy Spirit so the church can come together and work together to fulfill God's mandate on earth. We are to work together. That is why you are important to the ministry of the church. We need everybody. Listen, I should have done this. Listen, this, this podium is looking so fabulous. Look like real silver. Right now, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, we're going to have to put some mats here. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to wash your feet. And get the dirt off your shoes. Listen, this is, this is, this is, this is hot. The men came in on Labor Day and they, they worked and they, they cleaned the church and they, they cleaned the chairs and they, they did all the, come on, put your hands together for the men. Hallelujah. Amen. Wonderful work. I mean, this is looking so nice. It, look, it look, looks brand new. But that happened because the Holy Spirit in people's life caused people to come together to work. And that is why an evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their life is you working with people. Any believer who cannot work with others is missing something in their lives. And that thing is the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit and you can't get along with people, I would call that the unholy spirit you have. Because here's the thing. If you're the only one with the Holy Spirit, there is a problem. And if everyone else have it and you don't, there is a problem. So you alone can't have the Holy Spirit and if everybody have it except you, there is a problem. So what happens is that when the Holy Spirit begins to move, it begins to unify people. Here is how you know it. When people sing on a worship team, they get together. They are more than just singers and worshipers. They are united. Musicians know each other 
footballers when they play sport they know each other you see you see the people in the hotel who work in the dining room they are closer together than the people who work in maintenance because when people work together commonalities are shared but in the church is the same thing if you want to build strong relationship part of that is learning to work with people so that the work can be done. We need every person to do what God has called them to do. So that the work of the Lord can be done. So you don't come to church to sit. You come to church to serve. Amen? So, so, but it's also interesting, right? To note the sequence of the last three gates. Right, it, right here. Right? The, the, the three that we have just covered. What are they? What? The, the valley gate. Humility. The dung gate. Cleansing. The gate of the fountain, filling of the Holy Spirit. And what that means, you see the progression? I'm telling you, people, when I started going through this, I said, God is so amazing. Like, like in setting up gates, humility. You can't get cleansing until you're humble. You can't receive the Holy Spirit until you're cleansed. There is a progression. Before we can access the power within us, we too must exercise humility. When you exercise humility, we confess our sins. When we confess our sins, then we can be forgiven and be filled with the Holy Spirit or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? The next gate is the water gate and that's in verse 27 of our text. It of course speaks of the word of God. Water also represents God's word in scripture. Uh, the water gate was used to bring water into the city. An aqueduct uh, brought some of the water into the city at that time. But not all of the water came in to the city through that. The remainder was carried in through the water gate. Right? And often God's word um, is referred to as water. You know in Ephesians 5 verse 26 it talks about cleansing her. Husband ought to cleanse the wife with the word. The word of God. Amen? Uh, it sounds like you don't know it. So let's go to Ephesians 5 verse 26. Don't say amen if you don't know it. You know. Say, say, Pastor, show me. Say, Pastor, show me. Ephesians 5 verse 26. It says this. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of of God's word. See, you see, it is represented here. Let me g- give you an next example in Psalm 119. I hope you calculated the time. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man stay pure by obeying your word. Some translation says, how can a young man cleanse his ways? Amen? By obeying your word. So note that this is the seventh gate mentioned. I'm teaching you some good stuff because, listen, you saw the sequence. You saw how the gates are numbered. This is the seventh gate. Now, for those who study um, biblical numerology or theological stuff, seven is known as the number of? perfection and 
completion. And the only way we might be completely perfect is to grow in God's word. I think God is so amazing that he put it there. The only way you can become complete, the only way you can be perfect is by growing in God's word. It is also important to know that this is the only gate that needed no repairs. Read it, read it, read it, read it, people. I mean, verse 27. Oh, Jesus. Verse 27. All the other gates have to be rebuilt or repaired. Verse 27. I don't, did, did you see this? You were supposed to read this this week, right? Then they came to the people of the core and repaired another section across from the great um, projecting tower and over to the wall and above the house gate. So, the water gate. So, verse 26, right? With the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel who repaired the wall as far as the point across the water gate to the east and the projecting tower. So that there's no repair to this gate. Everything around it was repaired. You know why that is important? Come on. Because there's no repair needed to the word of God. There's no change. It is the same. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God and his word are one. It has never changed. It cannot change. You can't add to it. You can't take from it. Hallelujah. You can't add or take away from it. But there are many today who try to improve the word of God. They are forever trying to add to it. To make it more palatable. Like adding Nestle quick to milk. In order that they might better enjoy it. People want to put, you know, oh, like God's word is bread. So let's put some butter on it. Let's toast it. You understand me? So it can taste better. It don't work like that. It is hard though. Eat it as is. And be satisfied. How foolish. Because none of us could ever add or take away from God's word. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's not going to change. Scriptures remain the same. Forever. Amen? Come on. Oh, jeez. 11 minutes to go. The next gate is the horse gate, right? And the horse gate speaks of the believer's warfare. Uh, the horse was an animal ridden by a warrior. Right? Meaning the believers are to be engaged in spiritual warfare. So tell the person beside you that you are in spiritual war. So ask them, are you fighting? Because you could be in war and not fighting. You, know? you could be in war and hiding. I know that because there are many Ukrainians who are living in bunkers. They are in the midst of war, but they are not fighting because they are not soldiers. So you could be in war and not engaged. But the believer ought to be engaged in spiritual warfare. Amen? Or understand that there is a war going on. The, the enemy is seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There you go. Right? 
Uh, uh, the Bible talks about the weapons that we have been given to fight. The weapons of our warfare, they are what? They are not, but they are mighty. There you go, so there, there is war. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 says, a final word. You know when Paul says, a final word, it's not the final word. He's just warning you that he's getting closer to the final word. So this is my final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole arm of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark, dark world and against the evil spirit in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece and it goes on and enlist the arm of God. Then Paul says to Timothy in his letter to, in 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, Endure suffering along with me. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, Endure suffering along with me. <laughs> As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul said, listen, if you're a good soldier, you're going to endure suffering. Because that's what good soldiers do. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. You remember I told you that in Ukraine, there are persons hiding in bunkers and there are persons out there fighting. Some of us are, are soldiers acting like civilians. But here's the thing in warfare, civilians don't act like soldiers. But soldiers can act like civilians. And many Christians today are living like civilians. Though they are soldiers in an army. To ask a neighbor, are you a soldier or a civilian? Scripture continues and says, For they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. You know who enlisted you? Jesus. See, there are many adversaries of the devil. And we must be prepared for battle on a daily basis. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are many adversaries. The moment a door is open." Is the moment the adversaries rise up. That's why Sanballat and Tobias rose up. Every time God opens a door in your life, adversaries are going to come. Darts are going to be fired. So you must be ready to war. Amen? The next gate is the east, east gate. It is the ninth gate that was repaired. It, it, it is perhaps the, the, the most well-known gate of all. The east gate. Right? It, it fills the student of God's word with enthusiasm and excitement because of its connection with the second coming of Christ. When you hear about the East Gate, it's talking about when, when Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem. He's coming through the East Gate. So, but don't confuse the East Gate with the Golden Gate. They are not one and the same. However, most students of the Bible believe that when Christ returns, he will enter into this particular gate in order to proceed through the golden gate, which is actually the entrance to the temple. So in the second return, they are saying that he's going to come through the east gate and he's going to go into the temple. You know, if you, if you understand Revelation, you'll see that. So, as believers, the east gate needs to be repaired in our lives. 
we must always be doing what then? Anticipating the second coming of the Lord. We ought to be living our life like Jesus is coming soon. In all his glory. Not just a savior, but a reigning king. So we are supposed to anticipate the Lord's return for his bride, the church. We call it the rapture. Let me ask you, are you anticipating his return? Are you living like he could come right now? Are you excited that when you wake up in the morning, before you say, hey, I'm going to work. The first thing you say, hey, Jesus, are you on your way? Like, most of us are more excited about going to work than Jesus coming. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, yeah, the first thing you do is say, Jesus, how close are you? Because that is more important than anything else. And I tell you, the, the, the return of the Lord is kind of different, you know. The return of the Lord happens by him physically coming back. Are you physically going to him? You know what that means? You're D-E-D. Dead. <laughs> it means, because life is not guaranteed. You don't know. So when you wake up, you start celebrate the second coming. First Thessalonians 4, 16-17 says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the grave. Then together with them, he, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. The rapture and the second coming of Christ are not the same event. Yet believer today, today ought to be ever looking for the coming of the Son of Man. Just as did the watchmen in the Nehemiah story. And in his days, they looked eastward every morning for the rising sun to open the east gate. So the east gate today is open at the rising of the sun. Because the rising of the sun to them. In the morning is saying. The sun is returning. Today they still practice that. The people are always. Anticipating. The coming of the Lord. You see when you wake up. And you see the rising of the sun. Ensure that your east gate is open. And you are ready. Alright the tent gate right. Because. We have three minutes. We have three gates, alright? This one, I'm going to spell it. And you pronounce it. M-I-P-H-K-A-D. After three, give me the pronunciation. One, two, three. Alright. With a a loud voice after three. Let me spell it again and give me the pronunciation. M I P H K A D. One, two, three. Huh? Mifkat. What do you say in the back? Mifkat. I will work with you. 
I was going to tell you what, what this says in the, in, in, in the Hebrew but I'm not going to feel good. <laughs> but, but this one speaks of judgment. So you see the order of things, right? Filling of the Holy Spirit, staying in the Word, salvation, the, the second coming of the Lord. And then what happens? When the Lord returns, what is going to happen? Judgment. The next gate speaks of the judgment. Right? It, it, it actually means in Hebrew, review. It means registry. It means appointment. It means account. It means census. It means mustering. In the days of David, the soldiers would pass through this gate in review before the king who stood to greet them and express his gratitude for their unselfish loyalty and daring. So David would stand at this gate and when the, 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 the soldiers were coming back for a war, he'd look at them and say, yeah man, good job, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Go, go, go back into the city. Well done, go back into the city. Well done, go back into the city. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Judging them, reviewing their performance in battle. Come on now. It was also the gate in which those who entered the city had to register. So for you to go into the city of God, you had to be on the register. You ever hear the song, write my name. Write my name up there. Uh, when the roll is called up yonder. This is it right here. It's right on this gate. Is your name on the list? Come on, ask your neighbor. Is your name on the list? A Paul says in Romans 14 verse 12, whether or not a person is saved, we must all give an account of ourselves before the Lord. We must all give an account of ourselves before the Lord. There are two judgments in particular that this gate suggests. One for the believers and one for unbelievers. The judgment of believers is called the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. Then the judgment of the unbeliever is called the great white throne judgment. Can read Revelation 20, I mean, um, and you'll see that 11 to 15. So, my friend, you cannot escape the judgment of God. Hebrews 9 27 says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Therefore, everyone ought to give earnest heed to the words of the prophet Amos, where he says, Prepare to meet thy God. Because one thing is sure, we are going to meet God. All of us. It is an inescapable truth. We are going to meet God. Hallelujah. The last two gates, the gate of Ephraim. Um, this one is not mentioned in chapter 3. But it's also one of the gates. And Ezra stood at the water gate and read the word of God. He spoke of the necessity of obeying God's word. And the people wept openly. Then they made boots and celebrated the, the, the feasts of tabernacle just as 
they will at the beginning of the 1000 year reign of Christ the gate of Ephraim speak to the millennial reign in fact uh, Zach, so, so, so you see, after judgment we reign with Christ that's what the gate of Ephraim Zechariah 14.16 says in the end the enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague, plague will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king and the lord of heaven's army and to celebrate the festival of shelters and then the final gate is called the prison gate come and say that with me prison gate Alright, this is in Nehemiah 12.39. And my final word is at this gate. The prison gate speaks of the eternal damnation and imprisonment in the lake of fire. So after judgment, some will reign with him. Some fire! Let me say it again. People don't want to hear it. Listen. There is an eternal place in heaven for you. Or an eternal place in hell. I know, I know you don't want to hear about hell. But pastor must preach about heaven. But you cannot preach about heaven properly. Unless you talk about hell. And you can't talk about hell. And not mention heaven. Every time Jesus spoke about his death. He spoke about his resurrection. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 reveals that today. God is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to repent and come to him. That's what God wants. God ain't sending nobody to hell. God said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He wants you to be in that place. Now you can forfeit or you can change your travel plan. That's completely and entirely up to you. The ticket has been given to you. And you can trade it in for a different ticket. But God has given you the ticket. It's called Calvary's cross. The blood of Jesus. Salvation. You have the ticket. The, 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 the plane is ready. The pilot is Jesus. You're riding on the clouds. It's entirely up to you if you're going to turn up at the airport and check in to the flight. First class. Good blue mountain coffee. That's a good Akian sausage and all of them things that are going up. Just like here Jamaica days. All pretzels and Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all of them business. None of them things. Original first class. Leg room and all of that. All of that is available. I remember, right? In 1998, Jamaica, in 1997, Jamaica qualified for the World Cup in 1998. And people had tickets and jumped the fence. Yeah. Seriously, people had tickets and jumped the fence. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. People had tickets, but it was so packed that they jumped the fence to get in because they sold more tickets than they had space. Listen, some of us have a ticket to heaven. And guess what? Refuse to enter. Have you realized that you're a sinner? Have you realized that Christ died for you on the cross of Calvary? And have you invited Jesus into your heart? Romans 10, 9-10 says, 
if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Verse 13 of that scripture says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to end by asking this church, Are you ready for the Lord's return? If Jesus should come through the east gate this morning and say, let's do a review. Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant, come into the new Jerusalem. Or will he say, depart from me. I never knew you. The choice is always yours. Because God never imposes himself on the free will of man. Nobody goes to heaven because God sends them there. And nobody goes to hell because God sends them there. It's a choice that we make. And what we determine in time, or what we decide in time, determines what we get in eternity. And if you live a life of hell in time, then you may live in hell in eternity. If hell fills your life, then probably hell is where you're going to be. Probably that's what you really deserve. If heaven fills your life, then heaven is what you deserve. So with your heads bowed, and your eyes closed this morning. I want us to examine ourselves. We spoke about the dung gate. A place of constantly examining ourselves. We're, life is so unpredictable. You could be here today. And be gone tomorrow. Almost every one of these gates mentioned today. Could be a separate altar call. Are we humble? Are we examining ourselves? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we engaging in the word of God? Are we ready for a second coming? Will we reign with him? Are we choosing heaven and hell? Almost every gate that we looked at this morning could somehow, some way, apply to the life of someone in this building. But the truth is, only you know where you're at. And God. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to challenge you. Listen. You can't do what you know is wrong. 
and think like somehow God is okay with it. You know that you're going to do it. Uh, you have to deny yourself. I, God, I'm willing to give up this so that I can go up with you. No matter the cost. You're not beyond God forgiving you. But here's what. When you consistently do willful sin, our hearts get callous. It means it, it gets hard. And we take on a lightning to the sin so we can't stop doing it. It becomes a part of us. And God is saying this morning, examine yourself. Get rid of the dung. The waste. The unnecessary sin. Heavenly Father, we bless you and we thank you, Lord. Search us as we search ourselves this morning and know our hearts, we pray. And see if there be any wicked way in us and cleanse us of all our sins. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that requires humility. So we humble ourselves this morning. Under the mighty hand of God. We choose to deny ourselves. To pick up our cross. And to follow you. We choose heaven over hell. We know that when the day of judgment come, you will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. Listen, as I'm praying, I just, I just, I just need to pray for some person this morning that God would baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Never had this as part of my closing, but I just feel like there is. God wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. With even the evidence of speaking in tongues. He wants to fill you. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to just stand to your feet. And just, just follow the steps. It says, humble yourself. Just stand before God and say, Lord, I humble myself under your mighty hand. And then you ask him to forgive you. Say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins and whatever sins that are there. You say, Lord, I repent. And then when you do that, I'm going to ask you, once you have prayed that, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. And I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus for you. That the Holy Spirit would fall on you and empower you in the name of Jesus with the evidence of speaking in tongues and that the gifts of the spirit will manifest themselves in your life word of wisdom and word of knowledge discerning of spirit interpretation of tongues and tongues great faith call them the power gifts prophecy 
Come on, just, just lift your hands once you have done that. Said if our earthly father know how to give good gifts, how much more heavenly father? How much more will he give us the Holy Spirit if we ask him? God is willing. He told the disciples, listen, to wait in the upper room. They waited. And at the appropriate time, the Spirit of the Lord descended on them. And they were never the same. The one thing you need to change your life right now is the Holy Spirit. Every struggle he will empower you over. Every wisdom, every knowledge that you lack, he will begin to teach you. And the reason why you haven't been growing and moving and changing and maturing is because the Holy Spirit has not had a free reign and rule. But this morning, if you would obediently just, just follow, God will fill you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, we bless you, we bless you, we bless you. Spirit of the living God. Our one request of you, Jesus, is that you would come and fill us now. New anointing, a new wave. A new move of the Spirit. Lord God Almighty, come like a flood, come like a wind, come like fire, fall afresh on us this morning. Saturate us and drench us. From the crown of her head to the sole of her feet. Through and through, Lord God Almighty. Fill us. Every fiber. Right where you are, just a Lord. Fill me, Lord. And just say, Holy Spirit, take control. Full control. Hallelujah. Spirit of the living God, minister to every heart this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in your presence. God, all the glory belongs to you. All the honor belongs to you. And all the power belongs to you alone, great and mighty God. Take all the glory. We decrease so you would increase. We crucify the flesh so that Christ would reign in our mortal beings. 
have your way in our lives now and forevermore we pray in Jesus name Amen and Amen and Amen come on just clap your hands to Jesus this morning think he deserves a little a, a little better than that this morning hallelujah hallelujah come on just jump to your feet if you love Jesus